on today's episode. And yet you're you're willing to stake your eternity upon your flawed nature to sort out what is right and wrong for me to live by. And you know, one of the greatest arguments I think for the objective standard of scripture is one, it it isn't always something I like. There are, there are things in the Bible I don't like. My I, I want to rebel against it. But the other thing, too, is, is its longevity. I mean, it is. It has been there for centuries. And then all of a sudden, you know, we, we think that human beings are now progressive enough. We've advanced enough that we can go past all this. It just doesn't hold up. Welcome to the Life Challenges podcast from Christian Life Resources. People today face many opportunities and struggles when it comes to issues of life and death, marriage and family, health and science. We're here to bring a fresh biblical perspective to these issues and more. Join us now for Life Challenges. Hi, and welcome back. I'm Krista Potratz, and I'm here today with pastors Bob Fleischman and Jeff Samuelson. Well, today we're going to talk about what is truth. And we have talked about uh, this topic before. We had uh, Professor Frosty Bivens on the podcast, um, and we'll we'll link that uh, down below in our show notes, too, if you want to go back and hear that at all. But today we're going to be talking about uh, getting into more of the authority uh, of God. And why we listen to God. So it is going to be different, but but we're still going to be using this question of what is truth too. So one of the questions that we kind of wanted to talk about today: What would you say is maybe more true uh, that some people have religious beliefs and other people have none, or that everybody believes in something? I, well, I believe everyone has a religious belief. You know, a number of years ago, I was part of a panel discussion for a group of business leaders. And the the question at, at hand was, should we know the religious convictions of a political candidate running for office? And there were, there were other people on the panel, including a, a professed atheist, uh, and then maybe a, an extreme religious enthusiast and so forth. And uh, the atheist was saying, no, you know, keep religion out of it and all that kind of stuff. And I said, well, absolutely not. I said, I think, you know, we have to accept the fact that everybody has convictions. Even having no conviction is a conviction. And therefore, those religious beliefs, you know, we need to know so that we can evaluate, you know, on what standard that a politician would rule. So I would I would answer affirmatively. I think everyone has a religious belief. Truly, not everyone has a Christian belief or a, a biblical belief, but they all have some sort of standard or guidelines by which they live. Yeah, um, it's impossible to not have some kind of belief, whether it's a belief that my religion is is a great one or that all religion is worthless. That that's still a belief, and it's not just something that you you put in a corner in your file in your head. It affects the way you deal with the world, the way you deal with others, the decisions you make about your life, and such. And, and a, We'll say that there are a lot of atheists out there who are a lot more, uh, quote unquote, devout in their godlessness than than a lot of you know Christian believers are, you know, in terms of their devotion to to Christ. It's uh, you know, it, 
choosing to put yourself in the category of none when it comes to religion uh, it is not exempting you somehow from a, being a, a nor- normal human being who has beliefs about the world that matter. What they're coming out today now is, uh, well, I'm against organized religion, which, of course, I'm always thinking, well, what's the alternative? Disorganized religion? Is that what, I mean, is that, which is really what they're, what they have, what they're holding to is a kind of a disorganized religious approach, which means my view, this is how I view it. And oftentimes, even when you talk among organized religion, among Christians, people will pick and choose a church based on what they like, their view of how they handle it, whether it's who can vote in that church, whether it's, you know, are they involved with the right social uh, activities? Are they, do they have great music on Sunday morning and so forth? So a lot of times they're holding to a religious standard that is uh, quite disorganized. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of more of a personal preference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I can really see that. Um, When we think about this topic, too, how is this ultimately a question of whom or what a person sees as an authority over their life or the world? The Christian recognizes God not just as a powerful being, but as the creator of the world and his or her own maker. Even more than that, the believer sees Christ as their Lord and as the head of the church. These are all things that that Scripture is is very clear on. So we, we therefore understand that we as believers are under divine authority, and we re- also recognize that everyone, whether they re- respect it or not, is also under God's divine authority. And that authority that we're under not only tells us what to do, it also tells us what to believe. A non-Christian, maybe a religious one, some other religion, will will also claim to recognize some authority above and, and outside him or herself, whether it's another god or holy writings or legends or fate or ancestors or whatever. But in theory, that authority guides their their choices and actions. But the people who reject God, uh, reject the whole idea of God, they necessarily also reject any idea of God having authority over them or or anyone else. And you, you might think that that leaves some kind of authority vacuum in their life as though, you know, okay, well, I guess he's operating without any. But um, the reality is that in choosing to reject God, people like that have assumed the authority for themselves. They have decided, consciously or not, that the highest authority there is, is their own reason, their own mental abilities. And you know, they may claim to have some kind of moral or ethical values of some kind that guide them, but ultimately they are convinced that, that they can do and, and will do whatever they decide is best to do. You know, they've made themselves the highest authority. You know, I've read some posts or seen some things too about people that have lost their Christian faith. And one of the things is people just feel like, oh yeah, you know, once I let go of God, I just felt more free. And I felt that I wasn't, I mean, I didn't have like all these impossible standards to live up to. And so just this kind of idea of, you know, I mean, this authority figure sitting there telling you exactly what you have to 
do. And then not having that is is freedom. And I think, you know, kind of what you're saying along those lines is there really isn't any freedom. But why do you think, you know, people kind of perceive that to be the case? Well, the, first of all, the, uh, th- those kinds of religious gods, they should let go of. If they see the religious God as burdensome and, and holding me back and all that kind of stuff, that, that's not the God of Scripture. But we practice, uh, I think all of us tend to practice what I now refer to as a CRISPR you know, truth or CRISPR faith. Uh, CRISPR in, in, in biotechnology is the CRISPR is that new technology that allows you to take DNA and to slice sections out that you don't want and replace it with sections you do want. And we tend to, it's kind of an analogy for the way we treat our faith. We tend to, we, we, we like to cut out the parts that we don't like and keep the parts we do like. We'll borrow from others who, you know, will say, well, you know, they do this and, and I think we like that. So we begin to create this CRISPR faith in our lives. And and it shows a selective attraction to truths that are comfortable, that play well for us. So when somebody says that, uh, since I gave up God, you know, I feel free and so forth. First of all, nobody, you got to first of all ask, you know, where did you get the God in the first place? Where did you get that God that made you feel like a, a prisoner? Where did you get that God that made you feel burdened and so forth? Now, sometimes you belong to a church that's very performance-laden. You know, in other words, you got to keep performing. You got to keep, and of course, that's not the God of Scripture, but that might be a God of a church. If you lack an objective truth, the Scriptures, um, then then you're going to be aligning yourself with a truth that, quite honestly, could be very untrue. And so, uh, if you're if you're aligning yourself with a truth that says that you're going to be saved, you're going to have a relationship based on your performance. You're going to be very unhappy, and that's you want to get rid of that religion. That's not the religion of Scripture. The religion of Scripture says Christ performed for you. He performed on your behalf, and through that, you're saved. Through faith, you're, you're saved. And now, the, the whole table is turned, Well, which gets to kind of another point, and that is when it comes to w- the way people live their life, we like to talk about it being a life of gratitude. I love because he first loved me. So I I love because I'm the object of perfect love. And so when I love somebody else, it's gratitude. How can I love how can I love you less than I have benefited from? You know, and uh so it's a life of gratitude. And maybe gratitude is what we suffer uh from a lack of gratitude, a, a lack of understanding that. And of course, again, an objective standard for truth, scripture will show you how to love. And love is not dependent first on emotion. It's dependent on commitment. It's Yeah. And, and even having that objective standard of scripture is something we should have gratitude for, but it's something that a lot of yeah, a lot of people who just kind of they, they want to skip over that part. They want to say, okay, yeah, I believe in God. You know, Jesus is great, but yeah, that, that Bible, yeah, well, I, I, I'm not so, so fond of that. That's, that's full of errors and, you know, mistakes and things like that. And, you know, I don't think we really need to look to that as, as the thing that has authority over mm-hmm. our lives and the decisions we make. And there are all sorts of very good arguments to be, to be made against that point of view. But one of the ones that I, I always want to point out is 
pretty much everybody who says they believe in a God wants to believe at least in a loving God, particularly if they've had some influence with Christianity. And I just ask them, if he really is a loving God, why would he give you a document that, that tells what his will is and say, oh yeah, and some of it's correct and some of it's not? Is that a loving thing to do? I mean, imagine a, a, a father giving his children a, a list of things. And, you know, these are the things that I want you to do while I'm, I'm, I'm on my business trip and saying, yeah, but some of them I do want and some of them I don't. And you've got to figure it out. I mean, that, that's not loving at all. And uh, if we truly believe that God is all powerful, all loving and everything like that, then we're happy that he has given us the Bible as an objective standard for truth, not just for telling us what to do and what not to do, but much more importantly, telling us the truth about our sinfulness, the truth about his solution to our sin, the truth about Christ and and, and heaven and all of these kinds of things. And uh, we are happy as Christians to take that as an authority because it's something God in love gave to us. Well, kind of shifting, but not really too much here. How does humanism fit into our discussion and topic? When the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and he, he warned him, you know, he said, preach the word, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction because people won't put up with sound doctrine anymore, but instead to suit their own desires, they'll gather around themselves a great number of teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. He's talking about humanism. He's talking, they'll gather around themselves, people that will match what they want to hear. And I have to confess that when I was in high school, my argument against the Bible was it's an old book. Times have changed. Things have changed. People have changed. It's an old book. But, you know, it raises an interesting question is when does a standard become too old to listen to? Okay, so 2,000 years, that's too old. Does that mean 1,000 years is that too old is, or does that maybe one year, you know, or, or maybe 10 minutes? You know, the, the problem is, is that when, whenever somebody decides that you're going to take, you know, a longstanding objective standard for truth and reject it, in the end, you're basically saying that I'm basing it on some sort of human notion of what I think it should be. And that's humanism. Mm -hmm. And uh, humanism is really kind of at the at the root of everything that's contrary to Scripture. It's, in the end, I've made a decision based on my own human notions, which are horribly flawed, but I'm going to make this decision that I like that part, I'm going to keep it. I don't like that part, I'm going to reject it. And that's humanism. What's different from the time when Paul was writing, or really any time throughout history, is that in when exactly it would have started, but there, there's actually been a, a humanist movement and, you know, there's actually something called a humanist manifesto that would, that was written and such. But there are all sorts of different things that humanism is, is referred to. But when we talk about it today, it's, it's, and being more precise, secular humanism. It's basically an elevation of what is human in place of anything or anyone divine, and it's an elevation of human reason, in place of anything spiritual or, or, or supernatural. There are some religions, you know, I kind of put that in quotation marks, you know, that are essentially just, just human, humanism. Um, Scientology would, would be a prime example of that. But there are others, but ultimately, 
every form of atheism or atheistic worldview, including things like communism and, and, and fascism, those are humanistic because they are all saying, we humans, we're the ones who know what's what. We are the standards of, of what's best and what's right and what's wrong. And all those attitudes are, are thoroughly incompatible with, with Christian faith and truth. It, it would be easy for us as Christians to say, well, being human's a good thing, right? <laughs> so humanism can't, you know, it's got to be good too. But what it's talking about is, is not just elevating human just, just a little bit. It's elevating human above everything, including God. Now, and there's a form of humanism out there that, that says, you know, I reject all life hereafter. Roger Ebert was the one who said, you know, he was a, a, prof a professed atheist, lived as a humanist. And he said, I don't remember anything before I was born. I expect that after I die, it'll be the same way. I don't uh, you know, understand anything like that. First of all, anybody who's listening to this podcast, I, I pretty much I'm, I'm guessing is that you're figuring you're going to live beyond death, that there's some sort of life hereafter. Now, now I want you to consider this. If you you have a choice between applying your human judgment over the parts you like or accepting an objective standard. Now, let's first of all evaluate the nature of the human human judgment that you're going to apply. Did you get a speeding ticket? You used human judgment, and one time you went over the speed limit and you got a ticket. Okay, in human judgment, you you know you went to work at a certain place. You thought it was the ideal job. And then you found out that it wasn't the ideal job. Maybe some of you listening have been involved with catastrophic things. You've, you've done something that's harmed somebody by accident. You got into an accident because you tried to swerve and you weren't aware of the car behind you or something, whatever, you know, trying to avoid an animal or something like that. Okay, those are just like tiny single examples of the flawed nature of your human reasoning. And yet you're you're willing to stake your eternity upon your flawed nature to sort out what is right and wrong for me to live by. And, you know, one of the greatest arguments, I think, for the objective standard of Scripture is, one, it it isn't always something I like. There, there are things in the Bible I don't like. My, I, I want to rebel against it. But the other thing, too, is, is it's longevity. I mean, it is. It has been there for centuries. And then all of a sudden, you know, we, we think that human beings are now progressive enough. We've advanced enough that we can go past all this. It just doesn't hold up. You wouldn't accept it. If you were an employer, if somebody came to you with their resume saying, based on my performance, I'm going to lead this company, I'm going to be better than you at leading this company into the future— you're going to want to look at their background. You're going to want to look and see how well have you done. So those of you who think that you can pick and choose the parts of Scripture you like, how well have you done? How well have you done with your life? How, how many right decisions and how many wrong decisions did you make? And are you willing to stake your eternity on it? Mm -hmm. And I think that just drives you back into Scripture. Bob, you really touched on this concept, too, of what makes the Bible compelling of authority for everyone. The late Tim Keller used to uh, make the point that I'm not going to talk you into believing the Bible, but if it's as important as, as Christianity has said it is for all these years, it might be worth you checking it out. 
And I think that that's a solid argument. I think it's worth exploring, working at it, you know, not just sitting down and reading it some night. Uh, those of us who, who've made it our life's endeavor uh, to be servants of the word, you also, it's your life endeavor to be a student of the word. You're constantly learning and relearning and you're looking at something and all of a sudden you've looked at it the same way uh, for years and you looked at it and all of a sudden you saw something you'd missed before. And and that's the nature of studying truth. Yeah, um, this is probably not the occasion uh, to get deep into you know uh, Christian apologetics and all, all the arguments for for you know, for scripture and things like that. But I'll just say that there are very strong, very well reasoned, logical arguments for why everyone should at least respect, if not accept, the testimony of of the scriptures as, as we have them today. You're not necessarily going to believe it. But you have to at least take it seriously. To simply dismiss the Bible as something that is, oh, that's that's just old, or that's uh, only applies to certain people, or it's a bunch of fairy tales that only weak-minded people will follow, or something like that. The evidence of history, the evidence of literary criticism, all sorts of things like that, it all points to to the Bible as we have it as something that needs to be taken seriously, which means its claims need to be taken seriously. I mean, if it itself claims to be the Word of God, then when you read it, you have to say, okay, well, this is something I need to consider. And the Holy Spirit works through that Word, and countless stories of uh, atheists who go into the Bible, often just to prove it wrong, Mm -hmm. who end up Christians as a result, um, because the assumptions they went into it with get destroyed upon reading it. Yeah, just um, what you were saying, Bob, too, about just how you got to kind of look at it, and then you might see these things, too, just being being truth. Well, and, you know, in, in the arena of life and family issues, when we talk about beginning of life, when does mm-hmm. life begin? Psalm 51.5, a sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Scripture doesn't talk vague about it. And if anybody does, we've done episodes where we've talked about Psalm 51.5 and what that all means. Scripture's clear, um, but you have to make a conscious decision to say that doesn't, that doesn't agree with my worldview, which now we're getting into humanism again, doesn't agree with my worldview, so I'm just going to dismiss that section. And so you end up cutting and pasting, making a Jeffersonian Bible, you know, what Thomas Jefferson did. You cut and paste until you got the the Bible that you feel most comfortable with. Scripture is incredibly candid. I just got done writing um, a piece that's actually coming out today uh, on uh, the whole gender issue. You know, and I talk about Scripture. Scripture talks two ways. Scripture says uh, you're made male and female. Genesis, clear. It's clear, no debate, male and female. Scripture also says that sometimes you'll have same-sex feelings, that some people have same-sex feelings. It talks about women having desires for women, and it talks about men having desires for men. What's interesting when you study Scripture is, first of all, it's, it's candid enough to say both exist. So it's not like, it's not naive. It's both exist. And there might even be reasons why both exist that are inexplicable right now, why there's same-sex attraction and so forth. But what's interesting is the same scripture that tells us those candid truths also says that one is acceptable, one's not. Why do we want to believe 
the section that says we can have these feelings, and the Bible says we can have these feelings, but we want to reject the truth part of it that says that that's wrong. We have to accept truth for what truth is. And the problem that we're having nowadays is that we really, and I go back to that that statement again, where we want this crisper uh, version of truth. We'll cut and paste and dissect and slip it together, and we're going to make it this perfect you know, Bible that we want, and then we find out it's not perfect. The gender stuff, too, is a good example. And, and I know you also talked about the, the pro-life, too. Just kind of wanted to get into that a little bit because, and with the gender and the pro-life issue, there are professing Christian groups that take a different stance than, I mean, I mean, those of us that would say fully in support of what the Bible says. How do those groups kind of get around these issues and why why is that important to us and how how do we kind of view that well and, and to my knowledge and jeff you if you know something different i'm i'm open to being correct, corrected but i do not know of one church body i don't know of, of one church body that that accepts abortion rights that also believes the bible is the word of god entirely every church body that allows for abortion uh, or allows for uh, euthanasia of some sort, every one of them believes that the Bible isn't entirely the Word of God and therefore is not the objective standard by which to live, which means they've adopted for a more humanistic approach to it, a cut and paste. Yeah, I mean, the the, the basic problem is with everything is is sin and unbelief and and that exists among Christians as well and and within the church humanistic pride in one's own reason leads people even pastors and teachers and seminary professors basically to think that they know better than god maybe they'll place popularity and public acceptance or even just a more comfortable existence ahead of god's will that's another reason why why they will you know say well okay yeah i believe the bible but you know god's good but yeah i'm i i'm not going to be pro life i'm going to be in favor of abortion or euthanasia or, or whatever and sometimes it's simple self-interest and guilt if you are someone who has had an abortion or someone close to you has had an abortion or you made what you thought was a really difficult decision to um, essentially end your loved one's life you know, in the hospital, you don't want to feel guilty about that. And you want to basically have the sense of this is something we are free to do. In fact, it, 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 it's right. Basically, it's human nature um, and it's it, allowing your human nature to to be uncorrected. Uh, by the authority of, of God in, in his word. And what we might call theological liberalism has been systematically attacking God's authority and specifically the authority of the Bible for, for centuries now. And uh, that leaves many Christians and churches with, with really nothing left to believe. And they end up then, well, what is that that expression? Something like you've... Um, uh, you get to the point where you know you, you. It's not that you believe nothing, but you then you end up believing anything. You know, that 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 group of what we might call theological liberals, they they generally want to believe that there is nothing wrong with abortion or assisted suicide or experimenting with human embryos and 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 all all those sorts of things. And the, and the reason they do is because they they'll pull out that passage, God is love. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and he would not want you to be unhappy and so forth. God is love. And of course, I when I remember I was confronted by a lady once who who argued for abortion and says that God is love. I said, Well, how do you know that that's the true? Yeah, well, maybe that's the false thing. Mm-hmm. It, maybe God isn't love. Maybe you, you pick the wrong one to cling your hope on. And see, that's the problem with the subjectivity of trying to figure out your truth. Any anything else that we should mention on this topic here? I'll just say that um, you know, as much as we l- lament the um, theological uh, liberalism, you know, lament uh, humanism and all these things, that we don't want to just stop there at the lamentation. We we need to do better as as Christians, as as those who who do know you know the true God and His true authority in Scripture. So we need to be faithful uh, ourselves and and um, joyfully confidently submit to God's authority. We, when we see these things going on around us, we want to pray about them. We want to be good witnesses to Christ and the truth. Especially means that we need to to teach, particularly our children, but you know, anyone we have the opportunity to teach. Teach them, you know, not only what is true, but but why it is that we rejoice to hold it as true. And um, you know, make sure that uh, we're not raising a generation that is going to go out into the world and um, be seduced by all these very comfortable ideas around us. And make sure that 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 if we claim, you know, we are Bible believers, that we believe that that is the truth, that we really are Bible believers. You know, in other words, when scriptures say things like correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, and let your gentleness be evident to all. That doesn't mean you take the truth and you smack people over the head with it. You know, it is, it is a process. You know, being a believer is not an event, it's a process. You you believe, you have faith, you know, and through that you're saved. But as your life conforms to that conviction, that doesn't happen overnight. You're not going to correct all the world by you know, standing on a mountaintop, reciting, you know, a half dozen Bible passages and waving a condemning finger for all the people who don't live up to it. You know, it's, it's, you want to be as patient with other people as you know God is with you. And that requires a lot of introspection, a lot of searching your own heart, and then you be patient with them. All right. Well, thank you both for um, your insight on this topic today. And we thank all of our listeners, too. And please uh, check out our website at lifechallenges.us or christianliferesources.com for more information. And we'll see you back next time. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Life Challenges podcast from Christian Life Resources. Please consider subscribing to this podcast giving us a review wherever you access it, and sharing it with friends. We're sure you have questions on today's topic or other life issues. Our goal is to help you through these tough topics, and we want you to know we're here to help. You can submit your questions, as well as comments or suggestions for future episodes, at lifechallenges.us, or email us at podcast at christianliferesources.com. In addition to the podcasts, we include other valuable information at lifechallenges.us, so be sure to check it out. For more about our parent organization, please visit christianliferesources.com. May God give you wisdom, love, strength, and peace in Christ for every life challenge.